When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. When we think about President Biden, not unlike the stock market, his stock is down. So much of the first year was about COVID and the economy. The second year will have to touch on some foreign policy. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We're coming quickly to a crunch point where we're going to know either way what Russia's intentions are. He's hit a roadblock in the Senate. I think we're ready to get out of this vortex and see some legislation happen. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The plan was to visit Pittsburgh and to talk about the infrastructure bill. But today, President Joe Biden made a pit stop when a bridge in Pittsburgh collapsed, injuring 10. Uh, My name's Emily Wilkins. I'm here with my Bloomberg government co-host, Jack Fitzpatrick. We spoke earlier today with Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman when he was at the site of the bridge collapse. We're going to hear from him in just a minute. And later in the hour, we'll also hear from Bloomberg's Dan Flatley on the next big bill that Congress plans to move when they return next week. Well, earlier this afternoon, Jack and I spoke with Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor and U.S. Senate candidate John Fetterman. At the time that we spoke with him, he was at the site of the collapsed bridge in Pittsburgh. He was waiting for President Joe Biden to arrive. Now, earlier this morning, it was reported that both Fetterman, as well as State Attorney General Josh Shapiro, uh, both of them are running for seats, Shapiro is running for governor, that neither of them would be attending President Biden's speech. And so we did ask the lieutenant governor about that. However, we do just need to know uh, that after we did speak with him, he actually changed his mind. He did attend Biden's speech today. But I began with asking the lieutenant governor about the collapsed bridge in Pittsburgh. I've been on the scene since roughly 745-ish and, and, you know, shortly after. And it was surreal. I I drove on this bridge just yesterday. And to to see it in the state that it is, is is jarring and shocking. And from, from my perspective... It just it just reemphasizes how critical the investments that the Biden uh, infrastructure bill is going to make possible. And uh, there's no more jarring of an example to drive home just how critical that bill is. So I guess the the follow up question then is, yes, there is a, a bipartisan infrastructure bill that became law. But what comes next? Do you know of anything that the executive branch should be doing to to speed up uh, the, the allocation of resources, to point resources to Pennsylvania? Uh, or is this a, a problem that has been more or less solved? It's just going to take time. No, I, I, I think that that uh, because 
Joe Biden campaigned on infrastructure funding and he delivered infrastructure funding. You know, I think whatever steps are necessary to make sure it gets here in in, in this, uh, the velocity that's necessary, I know that's going to happen. I mean, he, I'm waiting here with uh, at, at the collapse site, waiting for the president. Can't wait to greet him. And I, when he sees it with his own eyes, you know, I know Joe gets things done, and he's going to get make sure that that uh, whatever needs to get done will get done. I'm I'm quite confident of that. So, Lieutenant Governor, you mentioned that you are planning on greeting the president, but I believe that you mentioned that you have a scheduling conflict today. You're not going to be there for the president's address. Why is that? Uh, I, I, I had planned to be in Harrisburg, uh, and then, of course, the, the bridge collapsed. I'm delighted uh, to, to, to greet the president at the, the, the site of the bridge collapse. Is, is there any issue, and I, I'm sorry if I'm being a devil's advocate here, uh, but as we look at polling, as we look at the, uh, the midterm races for congressional candidates who are running for re-election, is, is the president in any way a liability that people in swing states I, don't want I, to be next to? No, I'm proud to be with the president, absolutely. This, this was a, uh, absolutely, I'm, I can't, uh, I'm eager to greet him, and just the fact that he's going to, to visit here now, demonstrates the kind of hands-on leader that he is, and I'm, I'm delighted. I know that President Biden, he's mentioned recently that he wants to change tactics, that he wants to spend less time in Washington, more time out with the American people. Why do you think this is? Is this something that, the, how do you see the American people responding to that? Uh, I, I, you know, Pennsylvania loves, Pennsylvania loves Joe Biden, and, and I know Joe Biden loves Pennsylvania, and when it comes to when it comes, if, if uh, infrastructure is Elvis, Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh's Graceland, and it's no surprise he's coming here. And, you know, we're uh, delighted always to receive him. And, you know, this extraordinary, uh, you know, collapse of the bridge just highlights just how much far ahead of the curve he's been on this topic and this issue. Well, Lieutenant and, Governor, if, I, if uh, I can just follow up here for a minute, I mean, we have seen Biden's approval ratings slide pretty far down. Why is that? What does Biden need to do to regain the trust and the approval of the American people? I, I, I think he already has the trust of the American people, and it's just a matter of, of working out, uh, you know, all the investments that are, are in the pipeline, and making sure that uh, the economy is able to adjust itself and the, the issues with the supply chain are going to get worked out. So yeah, could you just give a, us a little bit of a, a sense of when should this bill have been passed? We've been talking about an, an, an infrastructure bill for so many years. How long were the needs there that, that festered leading up to this kind of bridge collapse? Pennsylvania has thousands of, of structurally deficient bridges. The American Society of Civil Engineers has given our bridges a D minus, the, the need has been pronounced for a while. And Joe Biden got it done and got the, the infrastructure bill passed and can only say great things of, uh, about the bill and the president's leadership. There's also another major part of President Biden's agenda, the Build Back Better bill that really deals with social policy. If that doesn't wind up passing through Congress in some way, shape or form, how is that going to impact Pennsylvanians? Well, and anything that impedes President Biden's agenda, you know, is a detriment to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania needs the Build Back Better bill passed, but we know that that's, you know, struggle to pass. But but what, whatever, if anything, eventually passes, I hear there's 
there's discussions now of, of, of passing what Senator Manchin agrees with in, in the bill. You know, look, whatever the president's able to pass is going to help Pennsylvania because at the core of the president's mission is to help states and communities just like Pennsylvania all across uh, America. So whatever they can ultimately get passed through the, the, the Senate is going to benefit Pennsylvania extraordinarily. But the, the good news is we do have the infrastructure bill passed. The resources are in the pipeline. And what's my hope is, is that the thousands of bridges that are structurally deficient, you know, we don't ever have to go through a situation like this that we did this morning. So just to drill down on, on what could come next from uh, from Congress, if that major Build Back Better bill gets whittled down to something like climate and energy spending and pre-K education, uh, what does that do for people in Pennsylvania? Is that enough as this sort of centerpiece it's, of what it's, Democrats want to do? It's not ideal, to be clear. We want be the Build Back Better. But but since that's not not really an option based on on, on the, the comments of Senator Manchin and others, what is possible and what we want is is the best we, we can get through a divided Senate, and that's that's our hope. Those are all incredibly important areas for Pennsylvanians, and that we would welcome that. But ultimately, Build Back mm-hmm. Better, you know, in its entirety, is what what Pennsylvania needs. That was Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Again, he did mention during our conversation that he would only be greeting President Biden at the bridge. He did ultimately decide uh, to go to President Biden's speech today. And Jack, I just wanted to sort of see what you made of that. Is this just someone changing their schedule in light of the bridge collapse? Maybe. I thought it was telling. It was it was interesting because as you look at the president's polls, he really is struggling. You want to know if that's going to bleed into how Democrats campaign across the country. Obviously, uh, John Fetterman not only is lieutenant governor, but he's campaigning for uh, the Senate seat in Pennsylvania. And I, I think that's a little bit of evidence that they haven't backed away from him. You heard this more progressive member uh, talk about the need for that infrastructure bill, the need for the rest of the Build Back Better bill. He didn't back away from the president at all. And I think I can probably think of other examples where uh, in, in races, Democrats haven't uh, sort of given the president the stiff arm. I think this is one more data point that despite tough polling, the president definitely hasn't lost his own party. And good- Good to note that also Connor Lamb, who is also a Democrat who's running for that open Pennsylvania Senate seat, was also there with Biden today. And this is going to be one of the tougher races. Democrats are not guaranteed Pennsylvania. In fact, the seat that they're replacing, Pat Toomey, that's a Republican. And, and you've seen some potentially strong Republican candidates as well toss their hat into this race. Yeah, I mean, Pennsylvania's uh, probably tough territory given, one, it's the first midterm uh, in which the president's party has to play defense. Uh, obviously, Dr. Oz, I, he can't go on the, the ballot as Dr. Oz. He's Mehmet Oz. Uh, but he is he is running for the Senate seat there. That's a high-profile name. I, I know there's been some reporting that he's gotten a little bit of pushback from some Republican activists locally. Uh, but you, know, you look at Pennsylvania, you look at the Rust Belt, somewhere where President Biden did well, but it's definitely swing territory uh, that is challenging in the kind of national environment that we've seen. 
Absolutely. And also just important to continue to note that this is probably going to be one of the first stops that we're going to see from President Biden. In terms of infrastructure, we've seen a number of them already. But you did hear Biden just a few weeks ago at the White House say he was going to pivot his strategy, try and really get out there outside that Washington bubble more and talking with American people. Yeah, I I mean, he's going to be tooting his horn on the infrastructure bill. And obviously, uh, especially as we head toward a March 1st State of the Union, they really want another bill, even a portion of the Build Back Better agenda through so he has more to campaign on and get out there and tout some accomplishments. And we're definitely going to get into the Build Back Better bill, what the future of it is, if they can even make the March 1st deadline. Had Speaker Pelosi address that a little bit today in San Francisco. Coming up, we assemble the Friday panel with Rick Davis and Max Burns. This is Emily Wilkins and Jack Fitzpatrick. We are in for Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, you heard from Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman at the top of the hour responding to the bridge collapse in Pittsburgh, talking to us this afternoon. Of course, we also heard from the president on that bridge collapse and what it means in regards to the infrastructure bill that became law and speaking more broadly about the economy. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, co-hosting with my Bloomberg government colleague today, Emily Wilkins. First, let's take a listen to what the president said. Uh, I did not know that Pittsburgh had this many bridges. I've heard it's called the city of bridges. I guess the president didn't quite realize the extent of how many bridges there are in Pittsburgh either. I've been coming to Pittsburgh a long time and as a former Pennsylvanian, but I didn't realize there are literally more bridges in Pittsburgh than any other city in the world. Did you know? More than in Venice. I, I mean, I, I knew there were a lot of bridges. I had no idea that. And we're going we're gonna to fix them all. I didn't know it had more than Venice either. So I guess, uh, you know, I'm sorry if this is uh, a, a dark issue. If there was going to be a major bridge collapse, I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that it was Pittsburgh. It was seemed very coincidental that this happened at the same city, the same day that the president was going there to speak. I vote for starting to refer to Pittsburgh exclusively as the Venice of America. Yes, yes, it is. The, the Venice of Pennsylvania, at least. Um, now, you know, I, I want to make sense of the significance of this and bring in our panel. We've got Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis and Max Burns, Democratic strategist and founder of Third Degree Strategies. It, it feels strange 
to have this conversation about a, a major news event, a large bridge collapse. Fortunately, no deaths, 10 injuries, none of which are supposed to be life-threatening. Uh, and and it, it, the discussion is about a bill that already became law. Is the takeaway, Rick, somewhat symbolic that, wow, we should have worked on that earlier? Or is there something that the president should be doing differently? Is there another solution, some action the government should take? Or is this just a lesson about, wow, that was an important bill and it should have been done under prior administrations? Yeah, Jack, I I think it was, wow, it's an important bill and should have been done probably 15 to 20 years ago. Um, All previous administrations for the last two uh, White Houses attempted their own version of an infrastructure bill and both failed for various reasons and some really didn't even attempt it. Uh, so kudos to the Biden administration for getting this, this, this infrastructure bill done. At least there's money now to not only uh, fix that bridge, uh, and you're right, thank God there wasn't uh, any loss of life. Uh, the pictures are horrific. Uh, can't imagine being going through something like that. But also to improve the infrastructure of those those spans and other things that the Pennsylvania and other states really need. Uh, I, I think it's smart for Joe Biden to be out campaigning on the fact that this is now law and it's bipartisan and it's trillions of dollars and it's going to help people in their everyday life. And, and if I were him, probably between now and the midterms, I wouldn't talk about anything else but that. Yeah. And, you know, the the bridge, the infrastructure bill does have money specifically for bridges. Uh, One thing I was looking at, you know, when Biden gave that statistic uh, was the number of bridges that are in a similar state to the one that collapsed in Pittsburgh. And The Washington Post has a great breakdown of this. Uh, It's absolutely terrifying if you drive over a bridge. It just shows the number of bridges that are in the same state as the one in Pittsburgh. And there have got to be thousands, thousands of bridges in this list, hundreds in certain states. Uh, Max Burns, uh, uh, can you tell us talk a little bit about the dynamics? What does it say that Washington took so long to address a problem that is clearly just everywhere across the country? Well, this collapse especially shows you that for a lot of people, this was not a real crisis. I mean, you can have the American Society of Civil Engineers say year after year, that a majority of America's bridges have a failing grade for safety. But that's different from actually seeing one fall just as the president arrives to talk about it. Uh, There has been a lack of urgency. I think this was viewed as a very sort of theoretical crisis, that these things may have problems down the line. Uh, And we're starting to see that the problems are now and that this uh, should have been a much higher priority from the get-go. Max, we uh, really pressed Lieutenant Governor Fetterman on uh, the fact that at the time he was not scheduled to be there with the president at his event. He pushed back on this, that said he was very, very excited to be with the president. He did end up staying at the event. Um, it, he did not seem to be backing away from the president's legislative agenda in any way. Where do you think President Biden, considering his polls look rough, where does he stand with with swing state and swing district Democrats on the campaign trail? Well, I think that Joe Biden is still far and away the best thing Democrats did about the 2020 race as someone who can appeal to these groups, who did appeal successfully to them. And polling aside, I think voters recognize that Joe Biden is trustworthy. Uh, His polling shows that he still remains trusted, even if people are getting 
unhappy with the pace of action in Washington. And, you know, Fetterman's absence, I chalk up more to the man being exponentially busy than to any attempted personal slight of Joe Biden. I think if if Fetterman wanted to slight somebody, uh, he would do it much more directly than that. Sure. I, I think that is a, a significant takeaway. And, and uh, one lesson is these candidates don't seem to be totally backing away from the president. Uh, Fetterman, of course, being a shorts in cold weather guy, so he, he doesn't back away from even the snow, evidently. We'll come back to the panel in our fourth block. Coming up, we're going to have Dan Flatley, Bloomberg congressional reporter, on. He's been following everything with the China competitiveness bill. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick with Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg. Well, Congress, uh, at least the House leadership, unveiled a bill this week that is meant to boost U.S. competitiveness with China. It's a massive bill, 2,900 pages, and Dan Flatley, Bloomberg congressional reporter, has read it all, or at least most of it. We welcome him to the show now. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. I just wanted to start off by clarifying a few things about this bill. The official title of the bill that Speaker Pelosi introduced this week that the House is likely to vote on this upcoming week, next week, is called America Competes Act. But there's been a lot of similar legislation floating around. We've heard um, of USICA, the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act. We've heard of the CHIPS Act. We heard of this bill called Endless Frontiers that are all supposed to boost U.S.-China competition. Clarify it for us a little bit here. What are all these bills doing and what can we expect going forward? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's good to be talking with you. yeah, I mean, I think basically uh, you're right. There, there have been a lot of proposals that have been floating around. What this bill that was introduced this week in the House, the American Competes Act, does is essentially take what the House has kind of uh, been working on or committees in the House have been working on over the last year or so, and it kind of combines uh, several different bills into a rough approximation of what the Senate passed uh, last summer, which was the uh, U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, which is broadly sort of a bill to help the U.S. better compete with China and to boost domestic semiconductor manufacturing and to kind of jumpstart research and development in the U.S. And, and so on and so forth. But basically, the way to think about this is way back in the, the late winter, early spring of last year, a couple of senators in the Senate and a couple of uh, representatives in the House introduced what was called the Endless Frontier Act. And that kind of kicked off this whole process. And, and eventually we are where we are now, where some things have gotten added, some things have been taken out. But basically, this is trying to boost domestic semiconductor manufacturing and trying to compete with China uh, better. So, Dan, I thought Endless Frontiers was the most compelling name, although it sounded a little bit Star Trek-y. Um, if That's the why it was House... the most compelling. That's yeah. why it was clearly the best. <laughs> if the House holds a vote and passes something, and then they've got to work this out with the Senate, what are the big differences? Are there any sticking points? What's the toughest part left after a House vote to make this become law? Well, I think that there's going to be a few sticking points along the way. I mean, first, you have to get it through the House, which is not a foregone conclusion at this point. I mean, I think the Democrats have the votes if they wanted to do it uh, along party lines, although that's not necessarily certain. There are some progressive concerns with this bill, uh, some things that I think uh, some some members want addressed. 
Uh, and you, you're basically right now facing a near unified Republican opposition, although uh, some Democrats uh, in, in the Senate and in the House and in the White House think that they might be able to peel a few off. Now, kind of the litmus test for that is Texas uh, Representative Michael McCall, who, in addition to being the top Republican on the Foreign Affairs Committee, is also the co-sponsor of the CHIPS Act, which is uh, $52 billion for domestic semiconductor manufacturing. Uh, He's the co-sponsor of that bill in the House, and he has basically said, there's nothing the administration can do at this point to get me to vote for this bill. So uh, I think they're hoping to hash all this out in conference uh, if this passes the House. Uh, And I think that they, you know, kind of what we saw with the National Defense Authorization Act earlier this year, um, or last year, rather, there there is a way to, uh, you know, sort of hash things out and get something done. Sure. And then, I mean, there's a question about how long a bill is going to take. But even if it does get to President Biden's desk relatively quickly, there's a a question about how long it's going to take to implement. I mean, we keep talking about this provision, this $52 billion for uh, chips and semiconductors. But today we heard from Congresswoman Haley Stevens talking to Joe Matthew on balance of power about exactly how long it's, it's going to take for the chips to really start being produced in the U.S. It's not going to be wave the wand and solve the problem overnight. This has got to be a midterm solution that we also need to develop long term solutions for as well. I don't want foreign competitors dictating our strategy. Mm -hmm. What I do want is American manufacturing, manufacturing coming back here. We invented these chips. We should be making them here. And Dan, I definitely do want to go to you and just kind of get your reaction to that. I mean, as far as how long it's going to take for Americans to actually see a difference in the supply chain for American produced chips versus foreign produced chips. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's a great point. I mean, it's not an overnight solution, although I think that part of what is happening here is uh, is sort of the uh, you know, the, the appearance of progress is, is sometimes as good as, as progress itself, because, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Intel announced that it was going to uh, start construction on some semiconductor fabrication plants in Ohio. Um, there are plans in the offing for plants in Arizona, perhaps in New York, maybe in Texas. And, you know, what the CEOs of these companies are out there saying and have been saying for the last several months is we need the CHIPS Act. We need help because... Other countries, Taiwan, China, uh, South Korea, wherever it may be, even Europe to a certain extent, they basically subsidize their semiconductor industries. They, uh, they create incentives. They help the, the businesses to thrive. And the U.S. has not traditionally done that for a variety of reasons. And so I think what you're seeing is ground has started to be uh, broken in, in some places. Absolutely. Uh, and because of the promise of that money. And Dan, we know that you're going to continue to cover it. That's Dan Flatley with Bloomberg, a congressional reporter. Make sure to continue to follow his coverage of this bill. It's going to be debated for a while. Up next, we bring back the panel, talk about Congress next week. This is Bloomberg. 
Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's going to be a busy week ahead next week for Congress. We're talking about the America Competes China Competitiveness Research and Development Bill. We've got some Fed nominations in a hearing in the Senate. I wonder if they can actually fund the government. There's the Build Back Better uh, return to that after setting it aside for a little while. Supreme Court is an issue. That'll be uh, an issue in the near future for Congress. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, co-hosting with my Bloomberg government colleague Emily Wilkins today. Let's get into the week ahead with our panel. We've got Bloomberg politics contributor Rick Davis, as well as Max Burns, Democratic strategist and founder of Third Degree Strategies with us. Rick, you are all over foreign policy, and I just want to take your temperature on the latest iteration of this China competitiveness bill. We described how many different names it's had. Uh, Tell us, 50 $52 billion in semiconductor research and and production. The president actually talked about this today, the the extent to which car prices have played into the inflation we've seen around the country. How big is this bill? How much does it actually do if it becomes law to make America compete? Well, there's no question that the uh, capital uh, going into research and development of a semiconductor industry in the United States will be a great catalyst to, to, to jumpstart that. I mean, there's already great improvement in that. Industries uh, coming here from Taiwan and, and Intel uh, building new manufacturing facilities. But the use of government funds, especially in the research area, which has uh, been drained of uh, funding for some time, is, is really important. And you're right. This has been banging around since the summer of last year, uh, or this year, when um, uh, uh, the Senate passed a bill that's basically going to be its companion. And I'm a little surprised there hasn't been a bigger priority to getting this done. It's bipartisan. It's effective. It sends a message to China and our allies around that we are not going to cop out uh, when it comes to manufacturing high technology. You know, Max Burns, uh, one thing that this makes this bill a little bit different from some of the others we've been talking about recently with voting rights, with Build Back Better, is that in some form it has already passed the Senate, uh, got that bipartisan support that it needed, and it seems like it's ready to get to the president's desk. Of course, needs to go through a couple more hurdles before it gets there, but seems to have momentum. And I spoke with a couple lawmakers, uh, Susan Wild from Pennsylvania, who said these are the types of bills 
that Congress needs to focus on right now. And I'm wondering, Max, sort of what, what you think of that. Should Democrats kind of exclusively focus for the rest of this year on bipartisan legislation that should pass? Or should they keep trying for some of these more ambitious bills that don't really have a lot of Republican support? Well, unfortunately, outside of, you know, a very limited number of bills, there's just not a bipartisan consensus really on anything. We're looking largely at passing things like portions of Build Back Better with a very slim Democratic majorities. Uh, and, and what I'm seeing and what I see, especially on the left, is that there is just not any appetite after, especially after voting rights, to try and go back to a well of bipartisanship. Uh, but you're right. I think Democrats have a winning issue here. Uh, this bill contains, beyond semiconductors, a whole host of very popular and very powerful pieces of, of legislation. And it should be something that Democrats are messaging very aggressively. So I want to touch on another key issue that's coming up next week. In the Senate Banking Committee, there is a hearing for the nominations of Sarah Bloom Raskin and Lisa Cook uh, to the Fed board. I, I would point out that Pat Toomey, the top Republican senator on the panel, has raised issues, said they didn't entirely fill out a questionnaire lawmakers sent to them. He's not happy about that. He's also raised some issues, and other Republicans have raised issues uh, on the regulatory approach regarding climate, uh, looking at Sarah Bloom Raskin's history. I, I'm just curious, uh, Rick, how much opposition you think there will be from Republicans Republicans to Biden's Fed picks other than Jerome Powell. How, how hard is this going to be? You know, I don't think it's going to be hard. Um, I think the Democrats can hold their caucus. Max can certainly talk about that. But uh, uh, and there'll be some Republicans that uh, I think, you know, traditionally support Fed picks uh, as a consequence of power. But uh, uh, look, I mean, you know, there there is some migration, especially with these new picks by the Biden administration into areas that fundamentally a lot of members of Congress don't think the Fed really ought to be involved in. Mission creep around climate is one of them. So uh, there'll be a debate about that. They'll get some hard questions about it. But I think ultimately, uh, you know, uh, the Biden administration will get uh, what they want out of the Senate on these confirmations. And Bloomberg is actually going to be hearing so I'd rather displaying those hearings on February 3rd at 10 a.m. You can watch that on the terminal. And Max, uh, I, I feel like uh, Rick basically set it up. Talk to me a little bit about the dynamics for the Democrats with the Supreme Court pick. Uh, is, is Biden going to be able to kind of nominate who he wants and get them through? Or could some of his potential nominees find stumbling blocks in some of the more moderate senators? Well, of the names that have been mentioned, uh, specifically uh, Judge Brown Jackson. Uh, these are people who have broad Democratic support. They're names that have come up on short lists before. And uh, I know the president is likely privately speaking with senators very actively about any thoughts they may have on picks. Uh, but there does not seem to be any desire right now to split the party on this. I think Democrats correctly see this as not just a unifying issue for a party struggling to find unity, but also a really energizing issue for Democratic base voters. I mean, this is a great chance to finally get this right. And Democrats desperately do not want to do anything to derail that process.
Um, Rick, I'm curious, as we mentioned the, the SCOTUS nominations, uh, how that plays into anything else they want to do. I, I understand they want to make this quick. Senator Schumer has said he's, he's aiming for a, an Amy Coney Barrett timeline, which was only about a month. Uh, does this disrupt work on Build Back Better, government funding, anything else? Or do you buy the idea that they can uh, address that open SCOTUS seat in a short time frame? You know, I, I got to believe they can move that quickly. Um, uh, certainly, the the model is what uh, uh, Mitch McConnell was able to do with you know just two months before an election, uh, getting a confirmation done. Uh, I I got to believe Schumer wants that. It'll obviously have to wait until uh, President Biden makes the selection and spend some time selling it to the American public. But at the end of the day, if as Max said, they can hold their caucus. They only need 51 votes. Uh, and they ought to be able to knock it out. The reality, though, is uh, they're going to need Joe Manchin to walk the plank on this. I think they can make him do it, and that gets them the 50 votes they want. But he'll, they'll probably run out of credits with him because of that, and it would be highly unlikely that he's going to want to take a look at a Build Back Better that is anything other than one of his own design. And even then, that could run into trouble with funding because Kristen Cinema still is not the Democrat who wants to raise taxes. So. Uh, I think Democrats' legislative options to go it alone are very limited in the balance of the year. So they want to go fast on SCOTUS. They are, are trying more on some portion of Build Back Better. Government funding is also an issue. The deadline is February 18th. Sounds like maybe even if they get closer to a deal, they, they might need a short-term stopgap to buy more time. But they've been struggling, and there, there's a risk of a full-year stopgap, which would be rough on every agency. Max, I'm curious if you see much motivation on this. You know, that This is an issue that has been more under the radar compared to BBB. Do you buy that there's uh, enough motivation to get an omnibus government funding package package through and, and if that's going to get their attention in Congress? I would be stunned to see that level of, of cooperation. I think Democrats <laughs> are likely full on their end between the Supreme Court, Build Back Better, this China bill. Uh, there'll be an upcoming fight within the China bill on reauthorizing and strengthening the Global Magnitsky Act. Uh, these are all things that large power groups within the party want to talk about. So these things that don't have clear advocates, like an omnibus bill, will fall by the wayside. And Rick, I wanted to ask you a bit, because when we have these debates about these funding bills, there's always this looming threat of a shutdown. The last couple times we've seen Congress pass just a continuing resolution, continuing current levels of funding. Everyone's like, whew, we avoided a shutdown. But I wanted to sort of get into it with you. What does it actually mean to just do a continuing resolution and to not actually pass new funding bills? Does anyone get hurt in that process? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, does the Democratic Party really want uh, Donald Trump's budget uh, directing spending during the uh, full year of, uh, of, of this administration? I'm not sure I exactly agree that uh, there's not a constituency for an omnibus. Uh, uh, Senator Leahy and Senator Shelby are working together right now to form an omnibus. My guess is they will get one formed. They've got, you know, pretty good insight into a top line number, which is the trick. And, uh, and it won't take them that long to really form the budget that, uh, that, that could replace the uh, continuing resolution. So, uh, again, I think the things you see happening in this Congress are not the go-it-alone Democratic bills. It's the bipartisan legislation 
you know, that's significant. And I don't know why the Democrats don't want to howl about it, because that's really what's been driving success in the Biden administration and a budget, uh, you know, produced by the appropriations committee uh, that right now is working extremely well together should be another great success story. And the last thing they want is another Trump budget for the balance of the year. I hear you on those points. At the same time, Max's point about it getting put on the back burner has to be at least partly true because the original funding deadline was September 30th. So clearly, to some extent, the appropriators have not been the stars. Uh, Emily, we only have time for a brief mention of the White House cat. Willow. The White House is a cat. The name is Willow. Please go online and Google a photo. It will give you all the good vibes you need to send yourself into the weekend. That is going to turn things around for the Biden administration in the polling. Thanks again to John Fetterman, Pennsylvania's lieutenant governor, uh, Dan Flatley, Rick Davis. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. Max Burns, of course, along with Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.